0: Hello and welcome to the Art of Adoption podcast, a place to share and listen to stories about adoption and to raise awareness and remove any stigma surrounding adoption. On this podcast, you will hear real stories from real people about how foster care and or adoption has uniquely shaped each of them as they share the good, the not so good, and the art of it all. I am your host, Amber White. Hello and Happy New Year! I hope you all enjoyed your holiday break and had a good time with family, friends, alone, or however you chose to spend your time. We had a great time. We did some traveling to San Diego and to Marietta. We got to hang out with some really good friends of ours. We went to SeaWorld. Have you ever been to SeaWorld? I don't know if it's worth it. Maybe just like a one-time thing, but I don't know. What do you think? To answer this question or ask me a question about adoption or foster care, leave a comment, sing a song, please do so by calling and leaving me a message at 720-722-2839. I will play your call on the podcast and answer your question. And trust me, if you have a question, somebody else does too. You can also find me on Facebook at the Art of Adoption Podcast or on Instagram at Art of Adoption Pod. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts or at www.artofadoptionpod.com. And you can always email me at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com. Today's episode is a little different and it's much longer than the others have been, But it is a very interesting story, although I may be a little biased because today's story is actually my story. So today, my guest is very special to me. He is my husband, Johnny Way. Hi, everybody. And today we are going to talk about our personal adoption story of our firstborn, Riker. So, Johnny, why don't you tell me about how we came to the adoption process?
1: Sure. Um, It started really with us deciding that we wanted to have kids. And so we did what every couple does when they decide they want to have kids. And we went off birth control and all that stuff. And we tried for... Uh, probably about a year, maybe a little bit longer than that, without any success. And so we decided we were, we would get checked just to make sure that everything was appropriately working. And uh, both Amber and I went through the fertility checks, and it turned out that I had a low motility.
0: You had low motility and mobility. So mobility is they don't swim very fast, and motility is they're shaped weird.
1: Okay, so I had. <laughs> a double whammy on that.
0: And I was told that my, I had a tilted uterus.
1: So it was very much a Chandler and Monica situation here. (laughs) What does that mean?
0: It means that my guys won't get off their bark loungers and you have a uterus that is prepared to kill the ones that do.
1: So the doctor told us, you know, there's still a chance of this happening. It's not out of the question and that we should switch over to IUIs. And the problem with Doing something like that is, uh, especially for Amber, it's extremely invasive. She had to go on lots of hormones and other medication to make the eggs as hospitable as possible. <laughs> yeah,
0: as uh, as fertile as possible.
1: Right, right. And so, you know, obviously going on hormones for anyone is, is not a great day, but um, you know, she, she had to go on them and you know, certainly it was impacting her, the way that she felt and uh, just not a fun time. The other problem, too, is we were on relatively poor insurance at the time, and so the IUIs themselves cost, uh, I think they were roughly $500 a shot. If uh, I remember it right. was
0: like six or seven, actually. Yeah, it was
1: pretty expensive. So, you know, there was only only so many of these things that we wanted to try, because if it weren't working, then we didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money trying over and over again.
0: So then we did six rounds?
1: I think we did six rounds, Yeah.
0: And we had no luck. So an IUI is intrauterine insemination. And that's where they basically take the sperm and they stick this tube inside of me and they push the sperm through to kind of get it up and over (laughs) my uterus that was tilted to try to get it closer to the egg.
1: Right. Right. So um
0: yeah, and then we so we tried that about six times and we had failed each time, obviously. So the next step was talking about IVF or in vitro fertilization. We actually found out that our chances were actually only at that time like 60% still.
1: Right and again our insurance was not fantastic at the time and so we were not covered at all for IVF which meant that the cost of the IVF was going to be roughly $25,000. You know we had just gone through five rounds of IUI at you know 600 bucks a pop or whatever that dollar amount was. That's 3k right there. With nothing to show for it, except for, you know, some bad weeks of being on hormones. And so we were worried about the IVF factor with a 60% chance and $25,000 roughly a shot without a guarantee or without like a money-back guarantee. (laughs) We were worried we might go through multiple rounds of that as well. And, of course, we could not afford, I mean, we, we couldn't afford the IUI at the time. We could certainly not afford IVF and especially if you had to do it more than once there was just no way and so in one sense there was a financial aspect to this um, but in another sense uh, I think we both felt that you know if we were going to put our cards on the table here maybe we could potentially do some good for the world and, and try to adopt. Uh, of course we had no idea the, the cost attached to uh, private adoption and we also had no idea I- any of the processes. Um, you know we or at least I grew up in a religious home where adoption was seen as a a positive thing and you know I remember many times thinking to myself why don't people adopt instead of getting abortions and as it turns out adoption is actually very challenging across the board uh, for, for the birth mother for the adoptive family and for the, the extended families of both it's a very challenging thing and so growing up a little naively I thought adoption was just a, a pretty easy process a relatively inexpensive process and of course we learned that we were wrong about that or at least that I was wrong about that but at the time when we were making the decision it just seemed like a much better fit for us.
0: Yeah, so after we left the doctor that day, after that IVF appointment, we, we just didn't feel at peace with the IVF process in general. Um, and that 40% of it not working was very daunting, whereas looking at adoption being a 100% chance, although it may have taken a bit longer, we just really felt like that was the direction we were supposed to go. This vision that I saw is getting closer every dawn.
1: Ooh, we are dreamers of
0: the shore. It took about a week of kind of sleeping on it and thinking on it and meditating on it. And not only did we come to that conclusion, we felt really, really good about that path. And so I immediately started. Looking into adoption agents. where we belong. Just wait. Ooh, wait for our- it was really hard because I know I struggled anyways with a few things during that week of kind of deciding which way to go. One of the biggest struggles was not having my quote-unquote own child or a quote-unquote way baby. You know, looking back at those times, I mean, that's really what I was feeling during those times. and I know I'm not alone in that, but it's not even a blip on my radar now at all. But that definitely was what I was feeling during that time. So I started looking into the adoption process, and we had known no one who had adopted at least not openly or that we were close to so we did a lot of googling for different agencies and stuff because i just did not know where to start and can't remember but somehow we came upon an agency called angel adoption and they were located in illinois and they did nationwide adoptions and so we really wanted to kind of cast our net as wide as we could so we called them along with a few others, but we really liked what they were doing. Um, They were more of a marketing company.
1: Yeah, it was the first thing that we learned about the process was, um, well, first of all, Angel Adoption was not a not-for-profit, which was very disconcerting for me. Uh, We actually called them and talked to the uh, the woman who owns the agency, and she explained why they were not a non for profit and their budget for Google Ads and all that stuff, which... sort of put us at ease a little bit. But all Angel did was the first phase of this, which would be the marketing phase. And essentially, that is the phase to connect a birth mother to a family. And after that happens, then they are essentially out of the picture. And they connect you with either an agency or lawyer, depending on the state, that would carry the rest of the process through. And so we had no idea that they were segregated in that matter. We had no idea that there were various phases or Or different costs associated with those things. So that was kind of our first large lesson about the process was talking to them and and getting their understanding of, of how everything works.
0: We did end up working with two different agencies. So that got a little confusing. But the thing we really liked about Angel Adoption was that they get about 15 to 20 applications per day and they only pick four to five couples per month. Um, so it was really cool that we were one of the people that they, the couples that they chose and they do that to kind of give the birth families a more narrow choice so it's not as overwhelming to them when they're looking at couples um, and they pick a very diverse group of people to market for. Spoiler alert they chose us. yeah they also
1: <laughs> they also helped a lot with just navigating the initial requirements for adoption they refer to student agency. They explained the home study portion of that to us. They helped us get our medical information together. Um, they're, they're really, you know, beyond being the advertising aspect of it, I think they were also a really good resource for that phase. Uh, after we eventually got connected, um, they sort of disappeared. But f- during the initial phase, I think they were a really valuable resource for
0: us. Sure. And they didn't disappear out of neglect. They disappeared because that was the natural process of it. So we got all the paperwork from them and I filled out lots and lots and lots of paperwork. We ended up having to get a loan from the bank because they needed their marketing fee up front, which was $11,200 and the signed contract. So in that $11,200 is a marketing fee it's totally non-refundable. And so we got that all the paperwork filled out and I put everything in a FedEx and I sent it off. And that was it. There was no turning back.
1: And the, and the marketing fee, at least for this, the vast majority of it goes to taking out ads on Google and other, um, I, I imagine at this point, Facebook would be in the mix as well, but other large platforms where they could. It um, was
0: MySpace then. Yeah,
1: my, I don't, yeah, I don't think they did that in MySpace. <laughs> but Probably not. When people would be searching for uh, a mechanism to place their child for adoption, uh, the marketing fee would be hopefully putting angel adoption at the top of the list if they were searching in Google, for example
0: which worked because they got us. We found out through them that Colorado is an agency state, which means you have to go through an agency. So they referred us to Adoption Choices of Colorado. So we did start there and they are an agency and an attorney as well. So they sent me their stack of papers and there's about 60 pages from them that I had to fill out. And at that point I was, had just filled out about 60 pages for angel adoption and I had to take it kind of a couple pages at a time because the paperwork is really, really overwhelming and very redundant. So they also let us know about the things we needed to gather in the meantime, like our birth certificates, our W-2s, our financial statements, medical records. Um, We had to get fingerprinting done and background checks done as well. And we had to get physicals and blood tests done. When we turned in our application at Adoption Choices of Colorado, we had to send another $550 application fee to them as well. More money. In
1: the meantime, you were soliciting letters from our friends and family for references and recommendations um, so that we could present that to the agency as well.
0: Not only is it good for the agency to see, but it's also kind of reassuring to yourself as well, and they're fun keepsakes. I also started working on our picture profile, and I kind of talked about that in episode one. You create a profile. It's a little story about you and your family, and the agency, Angel Adoption in this case, because they were our marketing agency, they helped me kind of with the layout and what they were wanting the picture profile to present, and one of the things that they told me and that I agree with and from talking to birth moms to adoptees to adoptive parents that's the most important thing is to just be completely genuine and honest about who you are in your life because you never know what people are going to be looking for when they're looking for an adoptive family and then I also started working on a website for us and that was more for our friends and family to kind of follow along during our process and so we can do some fundraising and stuff so
1: yeah that was probably the other thing that we had to come to grips with was after we wrote that $11,000 check that you know put us pretty far to the max in terms of our financial ability at the time we were then told that essentially buckle up because there's at least another 10 or 15k to go we realized that that we were going to have to try to get some help as much as we could at the same time we were consolidating and trying to figure out if there were other avenues of generating cash we were in the throes of the housing crisis as well so we couldn't get a home equity loan or anything like that
0: yeah this is 2008 so it was yeah. like right there
1: even though we had actually amber had bought that house in 2003 the value had flipped and we were actually under underwater on the loan and so we didn't have that to to take from so we were looking at credit cards and maybe trying to get another loan although you know once you you know, we weren't making a lot of money at the time, and so the biggest thing that weighed on me was trying to figure out how in the world we we're going to get enough money to cover the uh, remaining 15 to 20, 25k, whatever it was left.
0: Yeah, and so we started doing every you know, little things here and there, like we started consolidating, we got rid of stuff that we didn't need that we knew wasn't like a need, like cable and switched internet providers to get a cheaper internet service. We went down to one car. Um, Johnny was able to either bike to work or he would take the bus. And I was working at the time too. So um, I would take the bus or if I needed to go somewhere and I was home, I'd just walk, you know, whatever we had to do, we just made it work. So we went down to one car, um, which of course took, you went down to one tank to fill, one One insurance insurance payment, payment, one car payment. and It was, you know, it was a modest car.
1: Yeah, it was a little Honda Fit, um, mm-hmm. pretty inexpensive car. And Amber and I both had bus passes as well from our jobs, so taking the bus was essentially free. We'd take the car maybe two or three miles down to the park and ride. We'd park it, hop on the bus, and we'd get downtown where both of us worked.
0: And then, yeah, taking lunches to work, literally any little thing we could do to cut corners. We did yard sales And we had people actually donate stuff to us to sell at our yard sales, too. So we weren't like having to sell all of our furniture (laughs) from our house. And we also just asked people to help, you know, like sponsor one of our profile books because a profile book costs $20 um, for each one. And they ask us to print out 15 to begin with, not just to begin with. And then, of course, we had people kind of anonymously write us checks, too, which was really cool. And then we used credit cards. We did it use. Maxed out we maxed out a couple cards. credit cards, and um, I mean, it was tough.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, looking back, I, I don't even know how we pulled it off. To be honest, we we definitely had a lot of generous friends and family, but there, you know, that kind of money is non-trivial, and uh, we, we there was no person <laughs> in, that we knew well or related to or anything like that who could just sit there and write a check for them. We definitely had to piece it together over time,
0: and we did. <laughs> We made it work somehow. I mean, I also, so there's adoption grants out there, but there's, at least when we were looking, there wasn't a ton of adoption grants. And I applied for every single grant I could find, every single one, and we didn't get not one grant. And again, I think it's just, there's just not enough out there for everybody. I can smell the shorts right in front of us if we just hope. Back to kind of the process, we ended up going and getting our physicals and our medical testing done. First, we got our fingerprints got back and our background checks came back totally clear. We were never worried about that. We weren't even worried about our medical testing either. Mm-mm. But those, that's the one thing that you just, you're just you really not sure because they really do really thorough testing. When yeah, it's they do. definitely
1: more in-depth than a, a normal yearly physical kind of thing.
0: During that, they called. they actually called me and they told me they wanted to see me because they had some concerns regarding my medical test so johnny and i went in to the doctor and they asked me to leave the room yeah and then they they told johnny to leave the room (laughs) and i was like what and i was like well no they didn't even tell you to leave the room they they kind of held you back we were both walking to the room right right. and so i didn't even know that they told you to leave the room all of a sudden all of a sudden you weren't behind me anymore Mm -hmm. and so they 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 pulled me into the room and then they told me, and you weren't in here at this time. because no, then I, I didn't hear calling. any of it. Yeah. They told me that my tests, my blood tests came back HIV positive. And I was completely shocked. And I was like, there's no possible way that that could have been. But still, even though it was so bizarre, like my brain goes straight to, oh my God, you hear those stories mm-hmm. about sitting on a seat in a, theater and getting poked with an hiv needle or at least i hear those stories because i listen to real shady stuff sometimes (laughs) read really shady stuff sometimes so that was really interesting and i was really pissed i was pissed off at them because and i even remember telling them i was like look if i'm hiv positive i got it from you guys because (laughs) there is no other way i could have gotten i could be infected with hiv needless to say i called johnny into the room and i was like this is what these bitches are telling me no just kidding (laughs) Although this is what they're saying and Johnny kind of was like I don't know you tell me like what were your thoughts during that?
1: Yeah I mean I I just thought I thought there had to be there had to be some mistake for me you know especially because I didn't pop positive on it it just seemed just like a mistake.
0: I was a little more on edge because this is my adoption testing too so this could in my mind I'm thinking this is going to make or break getting a baby and so it just the tension was really really high. I ended up having to go back and retest two weeks later, I hadn't heard from them. And so I finally called them and I was like, what's the status? And they're like, oh, you're fine. It's everything came back negative. But I've kind of called and told I know us exactly. <laughs> they didn't even call me. I ended up having to call them to see. And I'm sitting here on pins and needles. Like I said, two weeks going like replaying my entire life. I was a nervous wreck during that time on top of all the other stuff. But then when they gave me my paperwork, my adoption paperwork, they wrote on there that I was HIV positive. And then i made i had them go back in and say you need to clarify this and tell them it was a false positive and then i come to find out that it actually is pretty common it happens one in and f- one in four um, tests
1: yeah which is surprising that means out of 100 people 25 have this false positive happen mm-hmm. you would think this is a little more well communicated by the doctor i mean getting the test they never said you yeah, just so you know uh 25% of the folks who come in here get a false positive. So don't be too concerned. It was nothing like that. No. So uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe things are different now. But at least back then, I felt like they could have been a little more forthcoming on yeah. the potential here.
0: Yeah. So I had to go back in every two months, every other month and retest for about six months, I believe. And then the Colorado Department of Health got involved and I had to do testing for them as well. But um, so that just kind of added <laughs> to Everything else we were going through, on top of all the other stuff we had to do to prepare to bring home a child. Adoption Choices had all of our paperwork, but we hadn't started the home study yet. We were starting to prepare the house for the home study and hadn't had one home study yet. But one day I got a call from Adoption Choices and they had asked me if I had gotten an email from them over the weekend. And I said I hadn't. And they said, there's two birth mothers that are interested in you guys. And I was really confused, but also very excited, confused because we haven't even had a (laughs) homestead, let alone the three homesteadies we were supposed to have um, in order to be approved to begin with. So she told us about one birth mother that had some mental health issues and stuff. And at the time, we just weren't educated on any of that. So I didn't feel comfortable with a birth mother who had those mental illnesses. And then she told us about another mother who had some minor drug use. You know, she had smoked weed and she was smoked cigarettes during her pregnancy. But we were like, yeah, that's it sounded really good. So
1: from my perspective, I was at work. I remember this pretty well, actually. And and Amber called me and said that we had been matched to a a birth mother. And so the first thing that the well, the first question we had was, wasn't angel adoption supposed to do the matching? Uh, Because that's what we understood our Adoption Choices was supposed to do sort of like the clerical work and the social work and the finalization and, and the home studies and stuff like that. But the actual matching to the initial birth mother was supposed to happen through Angel. And so we were confused on how Adoption Choices even put us in there to begin with. Um, but regardless, I, I called them and talked to them, and they said that uh, you know they wanted to set up a call with the birth mother who was interested in connecting with us. And so we set up a conference call, Amber and me and the birth mother, and we really loved her.
0: So I asked them how we were getting matched when we hadn't even had one home study yet. And they said, wait, your home study isn't complete. And I said, no, we haven't even had one home study yet. And they said that we were somehow on their good to go list. So
1: it was probably the HIV positive.
0: <laughs> yeah, pushed <it was> us <laughs> over the edge. They were like, ooh, they've got stories. <laughs> yeah. So then she said, well... The birth mom isn't due until February, and this was about this was early November. So they said she's not due until February. So we can, if it works out, we'll just kind of rush your guys' homesteading. So then we talked to her.
1: Yeah, so we uh, they set up a, a conference call with Amber and me and the birth mother. We talked to her for I think probably about forty five minutes to an hour is somewhere around there. So uh, we really liked her, and we got off the phone with her, and then the agency called me back. And they were talking about accelerating the home study and making this happen for us, which was, you know, we were very excited about it. This is our first, our first match here, and it happened really quickly. So, you know, it, it felt like a, a serendipitous thing until the agency told us the amount that we'd have to pay. And the, the problem is that they were going to charge us both for because they connected us and not angel adoption. They wanted to charge us for the um, advertising fee as well. And so we were looking at roughly thirty five to forty thousand dollars on top of the eleven thousand dollars that we had already paid. So this was gonna be easily a fifty thousand dollar transaction. And uh, you know, so they were telling us we should mortgage our house and we should, you know, and at the time that was just not even if we wanted to do that, it wasn't a possibility because the market was just not in a situation where we could have made that happen.
0: Yeah, and we went home and we really, really thought of every possible angle we could to come up with that money and we just there was just no way. Like, we just couldn't.
1: And, and the timing, too. I mean, they basically wanted the entire amount in a week or two to make this happen. And so they definitely, you know, felt like there was a capitalization on our, like, a, you know, the moment, right, to to try to get us to, to um, move that direction. And it caught us completely off guard, not just because of the timing in general because you know we still had home studies and all uh, a lot of other things frankly to do before we'd be ready to do this but also while we knew that there would be more money that we'd have to pay we didn't know it was going to be in in a week or two weeks and so that sort of really put us in a difficult position
0: I was devastated and not just for me but also for the birth mom because she was so dead set on us and so my heart just really went out to her when the agency had to call her and tell her that we couldn't do it, so you kind of feel like you failed. We, I felt like we failed her, too, um, even though it really was completely kind of a fluke that we even got placed in that position to begin with. But everything worked out, obviously, for us because I can't imagine a different situation than we have now. So. Right she was connected to the parents she was supposed to be connected to, and those parents are raising her baby boy and love him unconditionally, and that worked out the way it was supposed to. At the time, it did not feel that way, but now looking back with perspective, that's exactly what was supposed to happen. The next couple things that happened were our home studies. We had A gal by the name of Brenda come in from Adoption Choices of Colorado, and she did our home studies with us. And what that is is just coming in and checking out our home and making sure it's suitable for a child and safe for a child. Um, and then it's also a lot of interviewing with Johnny and I and looking really deeply into our lives, like
1: really personal and, and yes. comprehensive stuff. They, like it's very personal. Yeah. yeah. They and, asked us about our families a lot. It was almost, it, it felt almost like a therapy session in many ways, at least some of the, of yeah. the um, interviews that we had.
0: Yeah. And they would interview us separately and together. They looked at our references, our recommendation letters And, um, so they did that three times and each time it was a little different. There was like a little different aspect of it. And so the, we finally had our last one at the end of November. So the next thing we did was start our adoption classes and our parenting classes. And we did that through again, our agency adoption choices of Colorado and the caseworker that ran the class. Her name is Christy Eichler. We love her. We're still in contact with her and, um, she's just amazing. So hi Christy. She's also an adoptive mommy. Anyway, so she did our, she ran our adoption classes and it was basically we went there for 60 it was 16 hours of classes that we had to do. And we were really nervous. We ended up getting there late the first class and I was at that time everything felt like it had to be like perfect. So perfect. In our minds, we had the potential of being denied to be parents, you know. And so everything was really it was really high stress, really um, full of tension and so we ended up getting there late and I don't I think either the map because <laughs> we had maps back then was wrong or there was traffic I can't remember what it was yeah but. I think
1: it was it, it was the, the map didn't like call out the frontage road very well when we went so we were driving like we were getting off at exits and coming back and looping back and we finally realized that there was this frontage road that we had to get on um, that's right and we didn't know
0: yeah. So I, we went in there, I think we were, we ended up being like 15 minutes late or something like that. Like really not that much. And I went in there really not happy. But when we walked in there, Christy had her shoes off and she was sitting like cross-legged on a couch. And there was just like this other couple there and they were kind of laid back, kind of cozied up. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so not anything I needed to be worried about or frantic about like it was really laid back and really just the whole thing was more question and answers mm-hmm. um and, and the other
1: couple had already fi- mm-hmm. like completed their adoption yeah the so other they were doing their they like after the fact yeah they were in the middle classes. of their post placement so they they had all the stress of the adoption had already for the most part disappeared for them because they had their baby and so the vibe in there was very light it didn't. It didn't feel like you know we had failed by being late or anything like that.
0: Yeah, it was nice to have another couple in there to, that had gone through the process to kind of balance us out and kind of ease our like worries and anxieties.
1: I mean, I think the classes for me were probably the most beneficial part. Christy was extremely forthcoming about red flags that we might see, and the process itself was was still pretty opaque. And so having her essentially walk us through. Uh, once you are connected with the birth mom and what it looks like after you actually take custody of the child in your home and what the finalization looks like and all that stuff was, was just really, really helpful. And I think I think the last class we took, we met at an olive garden, so pretty informal stuff. And it was one of the most helpful sessions because essentially we just peppered her with questions. And she answered every single question, and I think both of us walked away feeling Significantly more confident and comfortable with the process after we had gone through those classes.
0: And not only that, like with lowered expectations, to be honest, but also a sense of peace about any adoption that possibly could fail in the future.
1: Right, right.
0: So our class was in December. Um, and then as soon as our class was over, we got a call from the agency and we had been approved to adopt. Yay!
1: We had the stamp.
0: We got the stamp of approval. So December of 2008, we were officially on a list to adopt a baby. So then we began waiting and waiting and waiting for what seemed like forever. But when I looked at the calendar, it was only the end of January. <laughs> mm-hmm. It seriously felt like an eternity.
1: From my perspective, I actually was fine it taking longer because I was still trying to figure out how we were going to pay for this. <laughs> so the longer it took for me, the more time we had to put money together and uh, and try to figure out how to how to pay.
0: Yeah, it's really funny because I, even though I complained and hated all of that paperwork and stuff, it really distracted me from. What was happening? Because we really technically started d- started the whole process in September, and didn't get on the list or approved until December. So there was four months of me, of just like, go 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 go. So once all of that was done, and there was literally nothing else I could do, <laughs> that's I think that's why it felt like forever for me. Because I was I was still working at the time, but I just was really anxious, and it, every day was just, uh, it was a lot. At the end of January, I actually ended up deciding that I was going to quit my job. And so I put in my month's notice. <laughs> I gave them a month. We had always planned on me staying home anyways. And so I figured, I don't even know why. I
1: was thinking, well, okay. I mean, eventually we, we had always planned on this happening. But, um, you know, I'd hoped that we would we would have two incomes all the way up until the baby was in our, you know born in, in, in the home, but you really felt it important to, to quit. And, uh, so that's what we did.
0: (laughs) So I quit and then gave them my month's notice. So the end of February was my last day and immediately started working on the baby room. (laughs) When I started being home, I started getting the house even more prepared. Um, we hadn't had a call. We hadn't been matched. I just felt like it was the time to quit. And I felt like it was the time to really buckle down and get this baby room done and work on finishing our fundraising and stuff. Cause we had more yard sales and stuff we were gonna, that we were trying to plan for and everything. So, so yeah, so we did that. And I remember one funny story is I'm painting the baby's room. I ended up doing back then like browns and lime was the thing or brown and pink was the color so I ended up painting the baby's room part like a brown and lime because I figured I can always add a blue or a pink to it at the time so Johnny had come home from work and he was like did we get a call from the agency or what and I just looked at him and I said babe if you build it they will come and that was like maybe the second week of March when I said that and then, two weeks later, we got a call from Angel Adoption that a birth mom had picked us. I was shopping at King Supers. And I was shopping, I was actually checking out at King Supers, and I looked down at my phone and I saw a call coming from Angel Adoption and I knew when I saw what they were calling for because we had not heard from them since December. Mm -hmm. And so I checked out as fast as I could and I put all the groceries in the car and I got home and I hadn't even, I unloaded the groceries from the car, but I didn't put anything away. And I listened to the message that they left me because I knew if I answered it while I was at the store, I would have lost it. And so... I listened to the message that they left and I lost it of course <laughs> and I called Johnny and he was I don't know what did, how did you feel when I called you
1: I think I was a little more subdued because yeah. I I sort of had mentally prepared myself for the fact that we, we already had one you know connection fall through and based on what we had learned in the classes I had sort of prepared myself for the fact that many of these could fall through over time and so you know I, I was certainly excited that we had been connected but I also in the back of my mind was thinking well this could be one of many potential connections that for one reason or another could not work out and so let's let's not got, let's not get too excited at the moment let's um, give ourselves some time and see how it goes before we uh before we you know start dancing around the room
0: yeah it doesn't work for me <laughs> yeah exactly It does not work for me This one felt totally different than the last one. I really felt, because of like, just jokingly said, if you build it, they will come, quitting my job, just doing all these things that like, I just kept feeling like were the right things to do. I really knew that this was the the one. I knew that this was the right one. You know, in the back of your head, you're always guarded, but I don't guard myself in the way Johnny guards himself. I still let myself be excited, <laughs> like dancing around the room excited. Yeah, my palms and in my eyes. And so she was in living in Oklahoma, and so we decided to go out there the end of May to meet her. Before we went out to meet her, she ended up being able to find a doctor that would take her this late in her pregnancy, and she got an ultrasound done, and we ended up finding out that she was pregnant with a teeny tiny little baby boy. So we were so excited and we immediately started working on names and kind of going back and forth on what we liked. And I threw out the name Riker. We both really liked the name Riker. And so that's, um, that was a no brainer. As soon as we said it, we were like done. And then we kind of went through different middle names that we liked and we threw out a couple things and nothing really stuck. And then, um, I forgot which one of us, Throughout the name Mason, which happened to be one of our really good friends' middle name. And so Riker Mason Way is the name that we decided on. And that is the name of our oldest and first baby, who is now nine and a half years old. Meeting
1: her in person was a really big step for us. And for her as well. And uh, I, I felt a lot more excited and felt it a lot less likely that she would change her mind after that meeting. She seemed pretty um, bent on on doing this, and we had a good chemistry with her. And uh, the trip was, was good. It was a good trip.
0: She had found out in the meantime that he was actually due the beginning of July, but she was planning on being induced a little before that. So the end of June, if possible. So the next month was literally just kind of waiting for that text and that call to come through. And we got it. (laughs) We were, it was June 20th. We were actually having a yard sale, a fundraiser for the trip that we knew we were going to have to take to Oklahoma in the middle of the yard sale. We got a call that uh, something was happening. She wasn't sure what was happening, but we knew we didn't want to miss it. And so we pretty much threw all of our crap in our garage as fast as we possibly could. We packed everything up. We had our really good friend coming with us. So she got home and she packed everything up. And we literally the next morning we hit the road at like 530 in the morning Mm -hmm. um, and started driving to Oklahoma she was scheduled to be induced on the 25th regardless we got there i want to say like the 21st we kind of went a little early probably went out there a little earlier than we should have Mm,
1: better safe than sorry i think
0: i just felt bad for our really good friend that went with us because she was away from her family for all those extra days that she didn't need to be um but they were very supportive and very gracious and very generous with their time and um we really appreciate that but we were glad to have her there because she kind of kept us (laughs) distracted too from the waiting. Her and I went shopping. We'd have Kit Kats and coffee at night watch trashy television. So we're sitting there on the 24th knowing that tomorrow's the day regardless. And so it was really kind of a hard time. We had a hard time falling asleep that night. But the next day we got up bright and early at 5 30 a.m. and we headed over to St. Anthony's in Oklahoma City. So we sat around waiting in the uh, waiting area until we got an okay to go into the room with her. In the meantime the caseworker showed up. She wanted to meet with the birth mother before we went in there with her just to kind of make sure she was, you know still I think in the on the same page and and just to make sure that she was comfortable with with us being there and kind of really what she wanted. She ended up bringing a couple friends with her as well just so she had that support. And she did end up allowing us or being okay with us going into the room with her. So kind of even during the process and everything during the, the waiting process. So we went in and our friend was with us. And so we kind of said hello to everybody in the room and got to kind of know each other. And she was amazing. I mean, she literally, I could not even tell, like there was times that she was contracting and she just kind of had this like, like she just grunted and bared it. And she just like went right along and, one of the more, more awkward things happened at this time. The nurses there at St. Anthony's in Oklahoma City did not seem to be super stoked on the adoption plan. They came in and they played a breastfeeding video for the birth mother and for Johnny and I to watch. And we had told her, and the birth mother had told her that you know, this was an adoption plan, and she kind of just ignored it. And she played this video, and she's saying that it was protocol. And maybe it is, but it was just, the whole thing was really awkward. You're already feeling, like, such strange emotions at that time anyways. Like, you're feeling excited, but guarded.
1: All the conversations about caring for the child after he was born were directed towards the birth mom. We didn't have, we just sort of had to insert ourselves in those conversations, and we were kind of an afterthought, and we just did not feel welcome or part of the process at all and um
0: not from the birth mom from the from from the staff yeah
1: Yeah, the, the 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 hospital staff and you could tell just the general timbre of the entire experience was that the staff was was just not terribly happy um that this was happening and uh you know we I don't know we we definitely did not feel welcome in that environment for sure
0: yeah So they would call us out of the room every once in a while when they were doing like a check to see how dilated she was and everything. And then we'd go back in. Well, during the actual birthing part, we ended up staying behind a curtain so that she had privacy. Obviously, she ended up delivering Riker at 1210 on June 25th, 2009. And he was six pounds, three ounces, and 18 and a half inches long.
1: And after he was born, she actually called me over, and I was able to cut the umbilical cord, which was really, really special for me. I think, by and large, that day was easily the best day of my life, just being in that room. and being kind of enamored with him when he was born. I remember after they cleaned him off, they put him you know into the little into the little crib and I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he was there and that he was ours and that we had been able to experience that uh, even though that, you know we were in this process of adoption that we were able to be in the room and and, and see him in his you know taking his first breath, breaths. Um, there's I still can't really put into words just how incredible that experience was for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was very surreal being able to be the first per the first one to feed him and hold him and he peed all over the nurse. So that was, that was hilarious.
1: <laughs> it was almost like poetic justice for them treating us a little <laughs> bit poorly while we were there.
0: <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but yes, exactly. He saw F you nurses. <laughs> it was really it was really cool and we, you know, we were did our best to make sure that his birth mom got her time with him if she wanted it and we were just trying to be very sensitive to her as far as if she wanted to be the one to feed him first or hold him mm-hmm. first or you know like we always always had kind of looked to her for guidance on that and she was always so like no nope, that's this is your guys's job basically you know and she yeah she was very gracious with us in that time too so one of the things i remember is um he was had his first bath and he was so angry and he was crying so hard and i just went over and like rubbed his little cheek and he just kind of looked at me and just calmed right down and that was so special and so sweet the birth mom got to name him and so she and her friends were they're all obsessed with the new kids on the block <laughs> And so kind of as a joke, she ended up putting his name down on his birth certificate as Jordan Nathaniel. So technically, his Riker's name was Jordan Nathaniel until we finalized his adoption six months later. So he, we called him Riker, of course, but he technically he was born Jordan Nathaniel. So that's an interesting little tidbit. She ended up being discharged like eight hours after that. She was like ready to roll. He was born at 1210 and she ended up leaving at about 8 p.m. that night we ended up walking her out and both of us were crying. And, um, that's really when the strongest wave of guilt hit me because I felt very, very strange, like taking this baby, even though I wasn't taking him, like I wasn't stealing him or, you know, like she made us feel really comfortable and really like secure in her decision. Like she was, I just still felt I couldn't help but feel really guilty about about it. I don't know why
1: I don't know I don't remember feeling one way or the other during that time i, I remember feeling um really impressed with her mm, yeah. leaving you know basically she got there at you know five thirty or six in the morning and left at you know seven thirty or eight at night um and I thought that was just amazing that you know she basically put in a full day's worth of work and let went home. <laughs> so I you know I was pretty impressed with that, but I don't, I don't remember feeling guilty or anything like that. I, I do remember watching her walk out of the hospital and and feeling like, okay, this, you know, now it's it's on us. We have to go from here and uh, feeling a lot of responsibility at that moment, you know, to try to make our way to feel our way through essentially taking care of a brand new baby.
0: I just thought about her. For a long time after that, just wondering, like hoping she was okay. Not worried that she was going to change her mind or anything because she never made us. She never, like, ever even gave me a, an inkling that that was going to happen, but I just wanted her to be okay, so... Anyway, she left, um, and then it was just us. Like Johnny said, it was like, all right, this is this is our this is our thing now. This is this is our little family. I just I remember wanting to leave the hospital so bad though, because of the way we, like you always hear about how well taken care of you are when you're at the hospital, especially the baby. But in our case, that wasn't what happened. They pretty much neglected us. Um, they ended up letting us stay because he had to stay, obviously, overnight at least. And so they let us sleep there too. So I was able to stay with him throughout the night. He was with me the entire night. And they came in to check on it, like to do his checkups and stuff that they need to. But they literally came in checked on him they didn't ask me if I needed anything or if we needed help with anything or whatever and um, they weren't offering any sort of like support or advice or anything and so I felt really I felt like a burden to them like they weren't supportive of the adoption at all so I just felt really awkward and I just was counting down to the time that we could to be discharged and get out of there. Cause I did not want to be there anymore, but I was very happy to have this teeny, teeny tiny little boy that had a head full of brown hair <laughs> to like keep me company and stuff. So
1: yeah, I, I um, like I mentioned before, a lot of the conversations that they were having regarding taking care of the baby they were having with the birth mom and we were sort of on the outside of those conversations. And so he was a really good sleeper. The first night actually, he's always been a good sleeper even since, even now <laughs> But um, back then, you know, he he was just sleeping and we had no idea what we were doing with with a small child or with a brand new child, brand new baby. And so the nursing staff would come in and they would say, you know, why aren't you feeding him? And we were saying, well, he's sleeping. And if he's hungry, you know, we thought he would just wake up. And they said, no, you have to feed him every four hours. Um, You can't you can't let him sleep through that. And their tone was condescending. They were not, you know, in the least, it didn't seem like they in the least been interested of trying to coach us into the, that information. It was just, you know, very, very much rolling their eyes at our, our ignorance there.
0: And then when, anytime that they would switch shifts, we had no idea. So we'd be like asking for one nurse and they were like, well, she left hours ago or what? you know, and it just felt really kind of like we were quarantined in a weird way. So we finally were able to leave the next day, which was awesome. In Oklahoma and in Colorado, actually, the birth mother has four days to change her mind on the adoption. And so we had four days kind of sitting there, twiddling our thumbs, hoping that she wasn't going to change her mind. Even though, again, she gave us literally no red flags that she was planning on doing that. It's was totally her prerogative to do that if she wanted to. And her right, we, you know, we still were sitting kind of on pins and needles. And she ended up going to the courthouse on the fourth day and signing The paperwork and after that she came over to the hotel and visited us and we she got to hang out with Riker and hold him and so that was really sweet and nice and then we sat there and waited (laughs) again we ended up being stuck at the uh, hotel because there's this thing called an ICPC.
1: Uh, Well the way I understand the ICPC is they don't want you trafficking children across state lines of course and so it's the paperwork necessary to transfer the custody of a child from one state to another because adoption is a state-level institution. It's not a federal institution. So the states, it's, it's almost like um, a trade agreement, for lack of a better way to put it, between two states. And so once the relinquishment happens, then you have to wait for this paperwork to go through, and, and there's some back and forth between the two states. In this case, it was Oklahoma and Colorado, such that they were all clear that um, Riker was no longer the responsibility of the Oklahoma state, that that Colorado was assuming that responsibility, since technically until we finalize, um, Riker is is not ours either. And so... He belongs to the agency. Belongs to the agency, yeah. So the agency was licensed in both states, but you still had to register the fact that this is happening. And technically you're not allowed to leave the state with the child until... The, it's human track, Right, yeah. until the ICPC... Paperwork is approved, and so our, our biggest concern there was we had already been there a few days early, so you know we we had been staying at the hotel longer than we anticipated, and the July Fourth uh, weekend was coming up, and it was a long weekend. Uh, I think July Fourth was on a a Monday or something like that. So we knew that if the ICPC wasn't done on that Friday, that we would essentially be there another four days. And so I was calling the Oklahoma State Department, and I was calling Colorado, and I was just trying as hard as I could to push this through. And it got to the point where we were even considering, because we knew we couldn't stay at the hotel for another four or five days, it, yeah. we couldn't afford it, and so we were considering um, going to Amber has family near there, so maybe we'd staying with them for a few days, or we just were trying to throw a bunch of different scenarios around where we would, you know, be within the law but still have some semblance of being able to not have to pay <laughs> for for more time. And uh, I think it was probably the hour before. They were going to close for the long weekend. We got the call that said, you know, uh, you're free to go. And so we we had already packed everything because we knew that there was no way that we we're going to be able to stay the four days that we'd have to leave anyway, whether we went to Amber's family's home or, or you know, something like that. So uh, we just hopped in the car and we hit the gas. And um, we are on our way back to Colorado.
0: Crazy. It was such a whirlwind, but it was awesome and I know our families here were so anxious for us to get home to meet him and see him and as they should have been because he's awesome so after you get home after you haven't you know you have to bring the baby home the adoption again is not finalized at least in Colorado it doesn't finalize for six months and that allows for the agency <laughs> to come into your home again three more times. They're called post placements and they basically just come in to make sure that you're adjusting well to being a family and to the adoption in general and that the baby's adjusting well. And again, they technically are the guardians of the child. So they're kind of just coming and doing their due diligence um, to make sure that he's thriving. But nothing's final um, until those post placements are done and they kind of say, He's well adjusted, you're well adjusted, every, and then you go in front of a judge and you kind of get that final stamp of approval. During that time, we had found out a little more information about Riker's birth father because he still had not done any relinquishment. Um, so he ended up being in a coma. The place that he was staying at, he had left. Like a family member took him out or um, he left. I don't know exactly what happened. But so we didn't know where he was and we needed to get him to sign a relinquishment. And so we had to hire a private investigator. More money, cha-ching. Although we did hire a private investigator, Johnny and I ended up finding him before the private investigator did. And we sent him to like the information we had found on MySpace to the private investigator. And they ended up contacting him and they, or they found him and they told him about Riker. They told him that he was a biological father of a child who was born, you know, in June. And this was like October, I think. So Riker was four months old at this time.
1: He he had memory loss. He didn't know, he didn't remember uh, what had happened. And he was served papers with relinquishment, so he had no idea. And the way that the relinquishment process works is he has up until a certain time to contest the adoption. And if he does contest the adoption, um, you know, then, then the adoption goes into a um, a level of negotiation there. But, um, if he, if he had done nothing, then, you know, the fact that he had been served would have been sufficient and, um, he would have relinquished by default essentially. Um, the the thing with it is you don't want the birth father to not have relinquished their rights. Um, even many years later, you know, even though he didn't remember that at that moment, if he had at some point regained his memory and come back, you know I don't think you necessarily would have gotten custody of Riker, but certainly he would have had a good legal case to try to um, and this you know could have been many years down the road. so so we definitely wanted to have his, his signature on the relinquishment form. So anyway, he, he contested the adoption. In Oklahoma um, the lawyer that he provisioned um, to help with the relinquishment is a is a state service. So you know he didn't have to pay to contest, and so I think he was trying to see you know trying to exert some level of, of control over the situation. You know he didn't know us; he barely remembered what had happened, and so um, he was. I think he was trying to use that as a as a mechanism to try to force us to come to the table and talk to him. Now we would have done so anyway. He just didn't know us, and so this, this was his opportunity to try to force that. Um, So it was a very scary time, at least for for me. Um, I was worried that, you know, at some point he was going to get custody again. Um, We had talked to our our lawyer a lot about the different scenarios that could happen. And we definitely had some options, but, you know, it was more money and it was, you know, just a lot of uncertainty and it would have delayed the finalization, etc. So at the end of the day, I actually reached out to him directly and we had some phone calls and some emails exchanged just trying to understand what his motivations were. And I think at the end of the day, he realized that there was no way that he could take care of the of the baby. Um, he had hurt himself pretty badly, and he had a lot of mobility issues at the time, and um, none of his extended family were interested in taking custody of the baby either. And so, um, you know, after talking with him and kind of reassuring him that we weren't interested in, in, you know, him being out of the picture, that we wanted an open relationship, assuming that there were safeguards and that kind of thing. He was comfortable with that. And so um, we had a a contract that our lawyer gave us. It's not an enforceable contract. Open adoptions are rarely enforceable. Um, and there's a, you know, the reason for that is because you definitely want to try to give the, the adoptive family a way to keep themselves safe if there is an issue of safety. And Riker's birth father had a long criminal history. So, you know, there's Certainly good reason for us to be concerned about that at some point.
0: Not to mention his family members were also contacting us saying that we needed to make sure that he did not have custody of, of Riker. Like one of his family members specifically wrote me a very thorough, long email saying, whatever you need to do, whatever it takes, make sure this baby does not get into the arms of my brother. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, there there was a lot of, but we, at the same time, we also, you know, whether, whether he would have made a bad father or not, I I didn't want him to not have the option. And I didn't want Riker to not have the option too, to have that, um, Context, I think that would have been unfair, and so we were not opposed to an open adoption on on principle. Um, obviously, we we had a very open adoption uh, w- without a contract. So we didn't need one with with the birth mother, and we had anticipated one with the birth father as well. So he wanted a contract, uh, even though it's not enforceable. But I think it was it was enough um, for him to believe that we were serious about it. And so we put something together. We had a lot of stipulations in there about you know, the various things that might change the arrangement, things like drug use and criminal history and that kind of thing. And uh, we signed it. We had it notarized. He signed it and had it notarized. And he then relinquished his rights.
0: Literally the day before Riker's finalization. So, I mean, we cut it very close. Everything on that adoption was just... If you look at the picture of us from that day, we're a wreck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) it, It was happy tears. But it was like, it was, yeah, it was a lot of stuff we were dealing with. For those few months, couple months leading up to it, for sure.
1: And I think that the main thing that came out of that for me, at least, was you know, you, you definitely have help. Um, you have the agency, you have the, the legal staff at the agency, you have, but at the end of the day, you really have to push it yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any other way around it. So, you know, despite the lawyer telling us that there were these different avenues, I really felt like we, sh- we should handle this ourselves mm-hmm. um, first before we got, you know, the lawyers involved. And so that's what we did. And it turned out for the best. I think it was in terms of the various outcomes, it was certainly the best outcome that could have happened. We didn't have any additional legal fees. We didn't have to worry about, you know, having to go to court or whatever other just ridiculous custody battles that may have resulted from that. And at the same time, we, we kept a very good relationship, as good a relationship as we could have with the birth father. Unfortunately, he's had a rough go the last, I guess, decade Since or so. Been, yeah. Um, so he's been very spotty at best. Um, you know, I think the last time we talked to him has been several years now,
0: like two years, two or three years. Yeah. yeah. So fast forward, it's been nine and a half years. It's almost been, um, nine years since the finalization. Um, cause Riker's finalization is on January 13th. Riker's always known that he was adopted from day one. We've always kept that in his world so that adoption wasn't ever like a four-letter word around us. Our family's always been really supportive. The only thing they weren't super stoked on was the open adoption aspect of it. Um, And I think that's just because when people hear open adoption, they think of Hollywood or they think it's co-parenting and that's not what open adoption is at all. Um, It's been really great for him to be able to kind of look at pictures if he wants. Um, He met his biological family Uh, a few years ago. We went out there to see them and we hung out with them all day long and he had such a blast with his older brother. Actually, a year ago, they came out here and they ended up staying with us here at our house and um, he got to hang out with his sister. Then um, his brother didn't come, but he got to hang out with her and they had such a great time together. They played video games and he looks a lot like her. Mm. (laughs) And so... It was really cool, and he um, is proud. He's really proud. I mean, at least as of now, he is really proud of his story, and he will mention little things every once in a while, like that he's so happy to be here, and he's so happy to be adopted, but he's definitely getting more. He's asking more questions and stuff now, Um, and that could change, But and I'm not going to tell his story because that's his own story to tell when he gets older if he wants to, but um, that's just from my perspective of his story. So. Well, Johnny Way, thank you so much for taking time to hang out with me and share our story.
1: No problem. We should do this again sometime. It was really fun.
0: Yeah, maybe two more times.
1: Sure. Sure.
0: Wyatt and Lyric? Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thank you. You for listening today, and tune in for a bonus episode out this Thursday, where we hear from Riker's birth mom directly about her side of the triangle. The theme music was written and produced by David Other. Find him on Facebook or at davidother.com. Artwork, editing, and production by me, Amber Way. You can find me on Facebook at the Art of Adoption Podcast on Instagram at Art of Adoption Pod. You can listen at artofadoptionpod.com or email me at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com. Please rate and review me on iTunes, hopefully with five stars, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a story. And wow, it's 2019, and I'm looking forward to a wonderful new year ahead of us. Take care.